Lord, we love you. Lord, I'm asking, release revelation upon us tonight. We open the word of God, expecting to receive from you, Holy Spirit. So would you enlighten our eyes again? We come under the Spirit of the Lord tonight to hear what it is the Spirit is saying to the church. God, we want to know what's in your mind, what's beating on the heart of Jesus. God, I'm asking you to release governmental authority in this house. You would release authority in this house. Lord, I pray you'd set ones in place even tonight. I pray ambiguity would leave. You'd release a divine setting of the heart. In the name of Jesus, God, we thank you for it. Good. Everybody said amen. All right, Isaiah 62. We're going to start tonight maybe a couple weeks, maybe two, maybe three. I'm not sure. Uh, Maybe one. No, I think we'll do a couple. But uh, I want to talk about this topic of set watchmen. Set watchmen. I want to deal with this issue about the prayer movement and intercessors. I want to deal with this issue of IHOP. I want to, um, especially, this is really especially uh, for anybody that would consider themselves an intercessor. Uh, it would also, all of those that are on our staff, this is really, really for you. And just anyone that has a, a burden towards prayer. I'm hoping tonight and the next week we can give some clarity and some language to your heart. I feel like there's a, uh, a chasm uh, in the body between uh, the, the drawings of people's hearts toward intercession and prayer and language to explain those realities that God is calling people to. I feel like there's a big gulf in between it. You know, the person goes, I don't know, I just, ah, my heart is just aching and I just want to pray and, and I cry a lot. And I, ah, ah, sort of groaning all of a sudden, I don't know. You think I'm Okay. I have people ask me that. You think I'm okay? You're just fine. No, this isn't normal. I know it's not normal for what you've known, but it's normal for right now. And, and so we have, this, we have this lack of language to explain what it is God's doing to people right now and how he's setting people. So I want to work through some. I want to give you some more than just a feeling in your heart that's gnawing at you that says, man, prayer is like super important all of a sudden. And I don't really like know Why? I'm like wanting to pray like all the time. More than just having that, I want to give you some, some theology to this. So you know what this is about and what God's doing. And Isaiah 62 is one of the, I mean, it is just one of the most, it's just a paramount chapter as it relates to God's end time plan and, and prayer and what the Lord is about at the end of the age and, and the generation before the Lord returns. And so this chapter, it identifies God's strategies. And I will be, I will, uh, how, how do I say this? It perhaps will be surprising to you to find you are probably in uh, these verses in a very, very big way. And I don't have to sort of pluck them out and sort of manhandle them and, and add my own little spin and interpretation to them. No, I just read them, I just read them point blank, face value with a real sound biblical mode of interpretation. And you're going to see, many of you are landed squarely in the prophetic uh, word of the Lord from Isaiah as it relates to the generation before the Lord returns. So Isaiah 62, if you have not spent much time in Isaiah 62, I would, I would strongly encourage you to find yourself in Isaiah 62 for a season. Uh, you know, several weeks minimum, for real. Especially if you feel a drawing towards prayer. For real, get in this. And so this chapter is so unique. And let me just, just, I'll just throw some topics that are mentioned in this chapter. Uh, number one, God's zeal for Israel is mentioned real strongly. Uh, God's end time strategy as it relates to Israel is mentioned real strongly. The bridal paradigm is uh, outlined in this chapter. Uh, the beauty of the Lord is uh, given great description here. Uh, God's glad heart, night and day prayer, the forerunner ministry, and the realities of the age to come. So you can see, if you're an IHOP, this, is, this should be standard fare for you. This should be, these are many of the themes that we focus on. And Isaiah 62 is just one of those chapters that sort of lands a whole bunch of them. So I want to give you, if you're taking notes, I want to give you a quick outline of this chapter. Because I'm, what I'm trying to do is set some of you up for study. I'm not just trying to give you a good word and everybody goes, wow, that was a good word. And the next week they go, what did he preach on? 
Now, I, want to, I want some of you guys to go deep into this for a few weeks, a month maybe. Take some time and chew it and get it in you for real and let these things become a part of your heart. Get another angle and get what the Spirit of the Lord is saying and get revelation on it and then we'll have you up here and you'll do a four-week series on Isaiah 62. Come on. It's funny in the house of prayer, we've got several that have an anointing to preach, but it's like pulling teeth to get them up here to preach. It's one of the hardest challenges of my little job. And I mean, I could probably send just a blanket staff email. Anybody want to preach Sunday? I'd get nothing back. But the things is because you sit in the house and you come in contact with, the God, with God when you're in this place of prayer. And then all of a sudden you come in contact with God. And then you begin to realize the great disparity between who God is and how much you know him. And then all of a sudden you realize another disparity. And it's how much you know you should be doing in God or how you should be living in God and how much you're not. And that, the dichotomy just kills you. And so the last thing you want to do is, and you probably have some really alive, good revelation, but the last thing you want to do is stand up in front of a bunch of praying people (laughs) who are all prophetic and stuff, and it's like you're just a prophetic target of, you know, weakness, you know, and it's one of the hardest things. But some of you need to, for real, the reader understand, get under some of these verses and get for real, and and we want to release you and Get you preaching and, and teaching. Good. All right, so let me give you an outline. Verse 1. Just write these down real quick. I'm just going to move through this pretty quickly. God's zeal for Zion and his plan for her salvation. That's verse 1. Let's read it. Listen, this is the Lord speaking. He says, For Zion's sake, I will not hold my peace. And for Jerusalem's sake, I will not rest. Don't play that game where you just go, oh, Zion's sake, Jerusalem's sake, that means the church. Don't do that. Because he's not talking about, I mean, these promises can be applied to any of the Lord's people, but he's specifically talking about Israel. The Zion, the Jerusalem. That's what he's talking about. And so when he says, for Zion... I will not hold my peace. What he's communicating is there's something burning in his heart. There's zeal moving in the heart of God that keeps God from being quiet. If you want to tie it together, you could say it this way. All the prophetic activity of the kingdom of God moving in the earth, all the word of the Lord coming forth to shift and move things in the earth has at its core reality this. It's for Zion's sake God is moving. Because for Zion's sake, I will not be quiet. I will not hold my peace. For Jerusalem's sake, I will not rest. I will not rest. Something that keeps the Lord moving and moving and moving and moving in the earth. And it's this issue, the salvation of Israel. It's more than just the salvation of Israel. It's the enthronement of Jesus in Jerusalem. Jesus Christ will return to the planet and he will be enthroned as king in Jerusalem. And that's what he's talking about. He goes, this issue is paramount to everything that I'm saying and I will not rest because of this issue. It's burning on me is what the Lord's saying. This is Zechariah 1 and Zechariah 8. Those are good chapters to sort of add to this. He goes, I am zealous for Zion. That's what's going on in the Lord. He says, I will not rest until something happens. Her righteousness goes forth as brightness and her salvation as a lamp that burns. So he goes, I'm burning with this reality. I'm not going to keep silent. I won't rest about it. And it will happen when God says, I won't rest until that until is coming to pass. I guarantee it. And he's saying this, that Jerusalem will be A burning and shining lamp of bright, glorious righteousness and salvation. Jerusalem will be a glory in the earth. And if it's a lamp, the the picture you get is this. Jerusalem is so fiery, ablaze with the beauty and the glory of the Lord that all the nations are perceiving this reality. God says, I will not rest until all the nations are seeing Jerusalem as a burning, beautiful lamp. 
of salvation and righteousness. You know, we kind of hear this thing where you're supposed to pray for the peace of Israel. We kinda, but we kind of don't get that God is real serious about this point. He goes, this is what's motivating my heart. You go, well, I, just, I just wanted to pray and have a few people at my job get saved. And the Lord definitely wants that unto this reality. The fullness of the Gentiles getting saved. And then, Romans 11, 25, all Israel shall be saved. There's a great Gentile harvest coming in. God calls it the fullness of the Gentiles. Unto this reality, all Israel shall be saved. So when God moves with kingdom power and authority in the earth and he takes cities over, he's bringing in a Gentile harvest. Yes, that's his point. And God's worldview as it relates to you is your heart. And so that'll just take a whole other sidestep on that one. But the point is this. God wants all the people to get saved of all the nations, but he's got this little side agenda in the back of his mind that really is the agenda, and it's the salvation of Israel unto this, Jesus Christ ruling and reigning the planet from Jerusalem. And that's what he's talking about. Because I'm not resting until this happens. It's burning in me. All right, so verse 2 to 5, we get God's promise of marriage and beauty to Zion. Because where you've been forsaken, where you've been desolate, you'll no longer be called that. What you will be called is the one the Lord delights in. And where, where people have said, God's forsaken you, you will be called married. He goes, and you will be a jewel in my hand. You will be a crown of glory upon my head. What's he saying? He's saying that I am going to make Jerusalem so beautiful that she will be even uh, able to adorn the Lord. That's huge. What can adorn the Lord? What jewelry could, you know, what goes with God's outfit? He goes, I'll make Jerusalem that. You get it. So it's going to have to be pretty cool. You understand? I mean, God is the most beautiful thing. He wraps himself with light like a garment. So for him to be able to wear, and to use the metaphor, to wear Jerusalem like a, a diadem, what does that say about what he's going to do to them? They're going to be beautiful, radiant with the righteousness, burning beauty is the idea. He's going to possess them. It's, it's the reality of purging them with the spirit of burning. He's going to release fire on the nation of Israel in that day. After the Lord returns, he's going to release fire upon them. They're going to be lit up with glory in the Lord. Possessed with the spirit of the Lord, if you will. So verse 2 through 5 is God's promise of marriage and his beauty to Zion. And then verse 6 to 7 is his action plan. That's God's action plan. And that's where we're going to land. Verse 8 and 9 is an additional promise of power and healing of the land. You know, when the kingdom comes, the land gets healed. You know that great revival chapter? If my people who are called by my name, Second Chronicles 7, if my people are called by my name, humble themselves and pray, seek my face, Turn from their wicked ways. I will hear from heaven, forgive them sin, their sin, and heal their land. We always go, yeah, he's going to heal our land. What does that mean? We just go, yeah, land means our heart. No, he goes, land means land. I'm going to cause rivers to spring up in the desert. I'm, I'm going to cause uh, water courses to spring up in the wilderness. There is, a, there is a healing coming to the planet, for real, to the land. And we have templates of that in the earth. They're called transformed cities. We were hearing the testimony this morning of a city in Amalonga, Guatemala. They were giving the numbers of the pounds, the tons of pounds of shrimp that came to their coasts when revival came. God healed the, the ocean so they were producing like four tons a week, and four tons turned into like 250 tons a week of shrimp. They're producing four tons for years and years and years and years. The power of God comes, and four tons turns into 250 tons a week of shrimp. They grow carrots as big as your arm. They grow beets as big as an apple. 
For real, I've seen a picture of a little lady holding this big old apple beet. It's the most amazing thing. What is it? It's the land healed. It's the land healed. He promises that to Israel. It's going to be a good place to plant a garden in the age to come. All over the place, but for certain in Israel. 10 and 11, verse 10 and 11 is a call to forerunners. It's called to forerunners to a proclamation ministry as it relates to Israel. To prepare the way for Zion. And then verse 12, God's final promise of full restoration. God's final promise of full restoration. So good, so take some time, look at that later, this week or next, next few weeks. All right, so let's, let's hop down to verse 6. God says in verse 1, I'm serious about this issue. Verse 2 to 5, he makes some promises that he is not a man that he should lie that will come to pass. He says, I'm going to be married I'm going to come and make Jerusalem and, and, and the people of Israel beautiful. And I'm going to be married to them. And there's a whole grafting in of the Gentiles into this reality. But it's first to the Jew and then to the Gentile. That's how this works. So we get in on this. Thank God for it. But, he, but he's make, the point is he's making good on what he promised to Israel. And then in verse 6 he goes, And here's how I will Make this happen. It's my action plan. He goes, I have set watchmen on your walls, O Jerusalem. They shall never hold their peace day or night. I have set watchmen on your walls, O Jerusalem. And they shall never hold their peace day or night. And you who make mention of the Lord, do not keep silent. You who make mention of the Lord. Do not keep silent. Give him no rest till he establishes, until he makes Jerusalem a praise in the earth. He goes, I've got a plan to see my zeal for Jerusalem, to see it fulfilled, to see the zealousness of my heart, to see it accomplish my plan that I have, in, 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 to, to see the married and beautified. And here's my plan. Because I've spoken the prophetic word. Now to bring that prophetic word to pass, I will raise up. And this is what the Lord is saying in verse 6 and 7. He goes, night and day realities of prayer. He goes, there will be night and day watchmen. And they will be for Israel. For Jerusalem. Somebody goes, what about Atlanta? Yeah, if we get Atlanta in the kingdom, it only speeds the process. It hastens the day of the Lord. But God's got this issue in, the, in his back pocket, and it's really the forefront issue, beloved. That's, this is where he's going. He goes, my son will return to the planet. And beloved, it's not just that Jesus comes back and we all just start floating on clouds and playing harps. There's an age to come. Christ will rule and reign the planet from Jerusalem. That's going to happen. And there is dramatic, and you've got to get this in your mind. You've got to get this in your life. There is massive continuity between how you live your life in this age and the way you will live your life in the age to come. Everything you do in this age has uh, consequence and repercussions and perhaps reward as it relates to the age to come. This is the internship, beloved. 70, yay, 80 years you get in this life. It's the internship, beloved. In the next stage, you're married to deity, ruling the nations with him with a rod of iron, seated on his throne with him. This is the internship. Oh, I pray that it rocks your, your mind and rocks your life that you go, wait, 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 what do you mean this is the internship? I'm telling you, right now, all he's doing is, is getting your heart. Now he's getting a billion or two hearts right now. But God's worldview, as it relates to you, his big worldview and big issue as it relates to you is your heart. It's not so much your ministry. Now God knows how to play 10 level chess. And so he will, in the process of getting your heart, cause you to affect nations. So he can get their hearts. That's how he does. But it's, he's not so much concerned about your ministry. He's concerned about your heart. His worldview as it relates to you is your heart. 
There's a proofing and a trying and a qualifying process that God is working in you right now. It has everything to do with your thoughts, your words, and your actions. And all those things will be reviewed before we start the next age. Hello. It's called the judgment seat of Christ. He's going to review our stuff and then put us in place in the next age. Many, we live this life with selfishness as our banner, parading as uh, Christians and, and claiming love, yet the motivating factor of our life is our personal comfort. And I tell you, that will find you in last place in the age to come. And so he goes, I've got a plan that I'm going to bring to pass and it's, it has everything to do with my son, and I want as many to be there, but my plan, at the epicenter of my plan, is watchmen on the walls. Watchmen set on the walls. Because I have set them. In God's mind, he's writing this, you know, uh, several thousand years ago. In God's mind, he goes, I have set it as if it's an already done reality, yet it hasn't even begun at this point. I mean, it's 2,500 plus years from even happening. But God says, I've already set them on your walls. Because that's my plan. I've already, I've already set in action the reality of it. And now, in our day, how stunning is this? There's a prayer movement that God is causing to congeal. It's coming together. The bones and the sinews and the ligaments and the arms and the legs. And all of it's coming together. And flesh is beginning to form on this prayer movement that God is beginning to breathe life on. People from all sorts of different streams don't even know why. But they're getting sideswiped by God. And he's throwing them into intercession. He's wounding their hearts and he's putting a groan inside of them. And they're finding themselves in night and day prayer. How? Because he prophesied it was his plan. You don't know how you got swirled up in here, but you did because he's zealous and he's faithful. He's not going to let one word fall to the ground. We think of Samuel as a good prophet. Let me tell you who the greatest prophet is. His name is the Lord God. Every word in the book will come to pass in perfection. In perfection. So he goes, my action plan is this. I am going to raise up intercessors who will not hold their peace for you, Jerusalem. They will not keep silent. And then he gives this little admonition to us. He goes, you who make mention of the Lord. The the crowd that makes mention of the Lord. He's talking about the people of God. Anybody who says God's name is the idea. You who make mention of the Lord. Don't keep silent. Because I want to put something in your mouth that's going to cause this reality to come to pass. It's intercession. He goes, night and day. It's going to continue. Night and day. He goes, give me no rest. Isn't that an interesting thing that God would ask? He goes, I want you to wear me out. Give me no rest. Keep going. Keep me busy. Keep me answering these issues. Give me no rest until I do this. Until I establish, until I make Jerusalem a praise in the earth. Beloved, let me just give you a little hint. Jerusalem will not be a praise in the earth until Jesus Christ, all God, all man, is ruling the planet from there. It's going to continue to get more and more challenging. It's going to continue to get more and more troublesome. The the attacks are going to continue to heighten. They're going to get a little momentary reprieve, a little false peace and safety, and then it is going to explode. There's going to be a vomit from hell upon the Middle East like you have never dreamed of. The Bible is so clear with this reality. It will be spiritual warfare that's going to manifest in the natural, and there's going to be massive attack. There's going to be massive uh, sin exploding on the scene. And I tell you, Jerusalem will be the epicenter of this reality. But God knows that's coming. And he goes, I will raise up a preemptive strike. I will set it up beforehand. Before any of that comes to pass, I will set it up that night and day prayer is being offered for this to come to pass. All right, now flip over with me to Revelation 12. Revelation 
we are a people that love the Spirit. We love the flow of God. We love the moving of the Spirit and the power of God manifest. We love Jesus. Yet so often we live our lives just sort of flowing here and flowing there without any kind of a scope of God's strategy in the earth. Beloved, this is what he's doing. This is why prayer is bubbling up all over the earth right now. This is why houses of prayer are being bubbled up all over the planet right now. It's a kingdom come, will be done reality that God is releasing into the earth. And do you know what's so crazy? There's two in the nation that are going 24-7 right now. Kansas City and us. How weird. How crazy. I, I just goof around with myself about how the silliness of this reality. How did this happen? never on the grid this was never on the scope God goes that's okay little buddy it was always on my scope because I called Atlanta a gate city before you were even a dream in your parents 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 mind he goes, and I, I needed a night and day reality to fulfill my word he goes and that's why you know, I, he goes I have no problem hedging you in flipping your life around I have no problem with that. My little buddy, I love you. Because I'm playing chess on 10 levels, but I need your heart in the mix. You know what? Let me tell you something. You want to, you want to be a little bit scared for a moment? I could do IHOP. We could see it all come to pass. We could have night and day reality of prayer. We could have an epicenter of kingdom reality, a 50-mile demon-free zone. We could uh, eliminate abortion. We could have a revival in the city. We could have healing on demand. We could have an open heaven and glory in the atmosphere. Gold dust could fall at the QT in mounds where they have to sweep it out of the way. We could have that reality. But let me tell you something. If my heart is not broken and alive in God, if I don't, if I don't embrace meekness, if I'm not humble, if I don't know the Lord intimately, guess what? All that's great and God's working in all of it but you know what in the age to come I suffer loss and it works that same way for you too so Revelation 12 this is what happens when I don't preach for four weeks you get five messages at once I hope you're charting this or something that means to work the algorithm on the preaching and figure it all out. All right. That means do all the math. Okay. Revelation 12. Look here. Verse 7. War broke out in heaven. Michael and his angels fought with the dragon. The dragon and his angels fought. But they, the dragon and his angels, did not prevail. Nor was a place found for them in heaven any longer. So the great dragon was cast out, the serpent of old, called the devil, and Satan, who deceived the whole world. He was cast to the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. That war, Michael fighting Satan, and Satan no longer having any place in the heavenly realms, that war is a future reality. Satan was cast out of the abode of God by God himself. This is Michael casting Satan out of the heavenly realms. It's a completely different war than when Satan lost his uh, seat of authority as the head worship leader in heaven. This is a future reality. And when he's cast to the earth, he's got but a short time, the Bible says. Specifically, it's a three and a half year period of time in which he will vomit upon the earth every manner of wickedness and debauchery and and i mean martyrdom will escalate at a, at a measure that you can't imagine and he's going to specifically target the nation of israel and christians and he's going to target them for execution anyone who will not receive the mark of of the beast will be targeted for execution this is a future reality beloved this is not just the movie we've got to get this And that war is a reality that will take place in the heavenly realm. Let me tell you what the setup for that war is. It's Revelation 5, verse 8. It's called full bowls of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. Before one seal of the scroll that's in the hand of the Father is popped in Revelation 6, 1, before that thing is ever popped, 
The bowls are full of prayer. And what does that mean? That means that Isaiah 62, verse 6 and 7, night and day prayer for Zion's sake is in full swing before that ever happens. I want to tell you something. There is a prayer movement right now. It's bubbling up all over the planet. You're finding yourself in the swirl of this thing. Why? Because it's on God's agenda. It's not just some new holy hot one. This is what God's doing. He is raising up a volume of prayer right now as a preemptive strike to stop the wickedness that hell is going to unleash on the planet. In the, in, the age, in the days to come. This is real, beloved. When you find your heart all of a sudden stirred toward this reality, I'm telling you, God is doing something. He's doing something real. It's dramatic. It's fulfilling verses. This isn't just a little thing where you go, ah, yeah, I like that IHOP. I just kind of feel a little buzz every time I go in there. It's kind of nice. I like when they, they, they sing a lot of David Crowder. I'm kind of liking that David Crowder. It's good. I just like that. It's a little buzzing. I, I don't know. I just answer my email a lot faster in that atmosphere. It's really good. No, God bless you. If you come and you get refreshed and it's good for your heart, I love that. Thank God for that. I hope you come and get refreshed, and I hope in the middle of it you get absolutely wounded. You go, man, that's incense. It smells kind of, hey, hey, I like this. I like the presence of the Lord. I don't want to leave. I hope God tricks you and wounds you and brings you in. But at the end of the day, can I tell you something? He's got an agenda. Setting watchmen on the wall. He's releasing a preemptive strike right now towards the kingdom of darkness. He's putting momentum on the prayer movement. Luke 18, he says this, he goes, oh, that, that they wouldn't slumber, that they wouldn't have the stupor upon them, but they would pray. And we have had a spirit of slumber, a spirit of stupor upon the prayer movement. But I tell you what, God is waking us up. He is shaking us up and he's putting prayer in our gut. It's amazing how prayer goes from being something you try to do out of your mouth and mind to all of a sudden it's something in your gut and it's just something you are. It's so funny because I'll talk to some of the intercessors sometimes and I go, what's on your heart to pray? And they go, I don't know, I just want to groan a little bit. That's Romans 8. Spirit helps us in our infirmities. We don't know how to pray as we ought. With groanings that cannot be uttered. Just kind of sit in the corner and just kind of go. It's Romans 8. Hey, I didn't write Romans 8. If you think that's weird, read it. The Lord thought that was a good way to get past the mind right from the spirit, spirit to spirit, where God's zeal, could, he, could, he could implant his zeal in your heart and your, out of your mouth and your yes to God, you can release zeal back to God and his zeal meets your zeal together and that's called kingdom come. I want to say this, that I hope so. It's just a little fun thing we're doing. And there's many, many expressions that God will raise, God will raise up and is raising up right now. That's not I hope, but it is night and day prayer. It's, it is uh, uh, Isaiah 62, 6 and 7. It is part of the strategy at the end of the age. There are many, many things that he's doing. But I hope it's not just a little fun thing we do. It is part of the prophetic fulfillment of God's end time plan in the generation before the Lord returns. And it is an essential feature, essential feature to the preemptive power of God being raised up to to offset the onslaught of hell that will be released when Michael throws Satan from the heavenly realms. Essential, beloved. What would it look like if Michael threw Satan uh, to the earth and there was no prayer to buffet the reality? This is the hinge pin. Night and day prayer. It's the hinge pin of God's end time plan. And there will be an end time prayer movement all over the globe, night and day. It must be night and day. I think next week I'll talk about the essential reality of night and day as it relates to justice. (laughs) Go ahead, Liz. (laughs) Say amen. I love our little bound for life justice. Let's get some justice in Atlanta. Thank you. Okay. Future war, I did that. 
What's it going to look like? What's the prayer movement going to look like? Right now, I'll tell you what it looks like. It looks like me, who is not a singer or an acoustic guitar player, having to do three hours on Friday. Just last week. Just our little reality. And I'm up here like, Lord, I lift your name on high. It is what it is. It's 6 a.m. We had a full room of night watchers. I get up on the platform. Jesus, you are whole. Where is everybody? Where'd they go? It's like the roadrunner. It's weak. It's ugly. It's small. It's broken at times. But sometimes it's good. Sometimes there's little zephyrs. The winds of the Spirit of the Lord come rolling through you. Hey, I kind of like this. We are in the beginnings of the beginnings of God being, beginning to put breath on this little thing. And Mike will tell you in Kansas City, he feels like it's just now. They're just starting to get momentum. Seven years in, they're just starting to get momentum. But we're small and rough and ugly. But I'll tell you where this is going. In a minute in a minute, we'll be trained. We'll be trained. There'll be maybe a thousand in Atlanta. For real. Singers, musicians with a prophetic song, singing the heartbeat of the Lord, thundering into the atmosphere, breaking the brass heavens, crying for the King of Glory. And there'll be a day when we say, King of Glory, come. And he goes, I can't wait over Atlanta any longer. Those little songbirds they've been singing, those little intercessors, the screamers, they've been yelling for me because I can't wait any longer. That's what this thing is going to look like. And with lovesick hearts, I mean people who are absolutely wounded with desire. There's days, I tell you, there's just days where you just come to this place and you go, I want something but nothing will do. You ever been there? Like I, I, man, I'm, I'm so, am I hungry? No. Am I thirsty? No. Do I want a movie? No. Just go hang out. I don't want to hang out. I'm just so, uh, You ever live there? You ever been there? Visit that little place? It's a little painful place to visit. You look in the mirror and you say, you know what? I don't think there's anything in this life that will satisfy me. I don't think there's anything on this planet that works. There's no buttons to push. There's no relationships. There's no money. There's no food. I don't want to be sour. I just just start aching. It's called lovesick. Lovesick. For real. You know what he's doing? He's wounding an entire generation. I'm talking zero to a hundred. Anybody alive on the planet. He's wounding them. He's making their hearts faint with desire for him. He's kicking out all the other things. He's showing the church right now. Nothing satisfies. Your church growth doesn't work. Your program is not going to work. Your three fast and three slow is not going to get you into uh, Revelation 4. And he's, he's dealing with us, and he's kicking out all the options, and he's causing us to desire nothing but him. It's called lovesick. He's taking us there. He's taking this prayer movement to love sickness, and he's releasing the revelation of beauty. Just for a moment tonight, we were singing that, that, those verses in Song 5, and Song of Solomon 5, and beautiful man, and we were going back and forth, and we were just hitting some of the issues of how beautiful he is. Just for a moment, that cord, that cord of desire, that cord of ache, just for a moment, it began to get plugged. Just a minute, just a moment. Just those little hints, it's just the breadcrumbs of God. He's just leading you in, saying, this really is your path. This will satisfy you. And I tell you, this prayer movement is going to be with people whose hearts are lovesick for Jesus. They want nothing in this earth. They want no uh, satisfaction in life but God. They come to this. They realize God is my portion, period. God is my portion. And they're, they're fascinated with beauty, alive with the beauty of who he is. 
And they're unified with the Holy Spirit. This is Revelation 22, 17. Spirit and the bride say, come. You know what it would be like for the prayer movement to be unified with the Holy Spirit? Spirit and the bride say, come. You know what that's called? That's called a spirit of prayer. When the spirit is crying come through the church and the bride is a hunt in 100% unison with the spirit, that's called a spirit of prayer. That's what this thing is going to look like before it's all said and done. And it will be night and day. And it will have people who are set into their destiny. And that's what I want to deal with the last few minutes here. Here's our challenge. There is so much ambiguity around these issues, around the issue of prayer and what it looks like and, and what it means and the value of it and what it's unto. And it, is it strategic or is it high praises? Is it, you know, is it with music or is it rock pile? Is it shouting and screaming or is it meditating? There's so much ambiguity. And I just say this, anytime the heart is positioned pointing towards God, it's good. It's a good thing. And just Let's just remove all the confusion when it's the human heart contacting God, and God is always drawing the human heart to contact God, so it's by the Spirit of the Lord, the human heart is contacting God, and prayer is going forth, it is a good thing, and we high-five and say yes to it. There's so much ambiguity about it, what it ends up doing is it takes the intercessor and it removes confidence from the heart of the intercessor. There's so many voices, there's so many opinions, and there's so much out there that, that um, devalues devalues the reality of prayer. And it devalues the, the calling of intercession. And I don't want to slam on that. I just want to do with this. I want to give you value. I just want to give your heart value. If you'd rather pray than eat, God bless you. Everybody's like, what are you talking about? <laughs> I like my pizza. No, but I mean, if you'd rather pray than do other things, if all of a sudden you find yourself, I, I really don't want to go out. I just want to go in to my closet. I, no, I, I don't really want to hang out. I, I, want, I just want to get with Jesus. I, no, I don't want to be with my group of friends tonight. I want to be with my friend. And your heart begins to ache for God. And, and prayer is all of a sudden something that's like air to you. Man, God bless you. God has high value on that reality. And see, God is raising up for real Anna's with the grace and anointing like Anna had upon her life. Isn't it amazing the Bible says she did not depart night and day? It's not that she never left. It's that she was there so often. It was as if she never left. And there's so much that's said, well, you can be a prayer, you can be an intercessor, but the real truth is this, that you've got to work in this and this and this and this ministry and the challenge is this. God is going to fulfill Isaiah 62, 6 and 7. He's going to set watchmen on the wall. And there's many, and undoubtedly, there's many in this room. And you're like, no, I just came because I want to check out IHOP tonight. No, I guarantee you, God is swirling your picture in a way you don't even see yet. The most ancillary person in the room, you didn't bumble in here. God's way bigger than that. So far bigger than that. But many of you are called to be end-time intercessors, a part of the end-time prayer movement to release a preemptive strike of the kingdom of God, to usher in the kingdom to the earth, to, to see the kingdom come, the will of God be done, to see revival break upon the scene. Many of you are called to that reality, yet there's no clarity to your heart of what that looks like and what that means. And there's been a great devaluing of that uh, position in the body. And there's been no identity given to it. There's been no calling forth given to it. And there's been no setting in place of that. And at the end of the day, what ends up happening is intercessors feel like, you know, redheaded stepchildren. They end up feeling like, you know, some strange cousin. Just doesn't quite fit in at the family gathering. You know, everybody's over there, they're all eating chicken. You don't eat chicken. You like fish. So intercessors, it's kind of like all the intercessors, what they've done for, done for years is they've clung to one another. And sometimes good, sometimes bad, sometimes with the good spirit, sometimes with the bad spirit. Got off on their little side little thing and just isolated themselves. They were given no identity. They were given uh, no calling forth 
And I'm telling you, God right now, he's raising up the Annas. So just for a moment, I would say this. If for real, and I use the term a lot, but if for real, you haven't figured out where you fit, and you felt like a square peg in a round hole, you didn't understand what was brewing in your heart and you thought something was wrong with you. You didn't know why you cry when others laugh. You didn't know why you laugh when others cry. You just don't understand why you're so strange. And if you ever prayed, God, could you just make me normal? No, for real. Listen. God's doing this all over the earth. And I want to tell you this. You're an Anna. You're an end time intercessor called according to God's purpose and his good pleasure. And he takes pleasure in you. God looked within himself from eternity past and he said, I will find pleasure in a people and I'll have a plan for these people and I will make them partners with my heart at the end of the age. And you'll find in the days to come that there'll be a vast, huge, massive company of people that are in this. I want to give you language. I want you to understand this is who you are. God's calling you forth as an intercessor at the end of the age. It's real. And he is going to set you in. He's going to set you as a watchman. I want to just identify that and then we'll close. What happens is this. Your heart says, I want prayer. Your mind says, this is strange. Your surroundings say, I don't fit. And all of a sudden, there's this lack of confidence and this great ambiguity happening in your life. God says, I want to give you identity in me. I want to bring you forth in this anointing, and I want to set you in place as a watchman. Watchmen are not simply prayers. They're also prophets. Ezekiel was a watchman, an intercessory voice to the house of Israel. And here's when it lands for you. When you begin to get identity, you begin to see the picture. You go, okay, yeah, there's a night and day prayer thing. I see that. God's doing it. Okay, I see that. And, and it's, it's not just finding the place to pray. What it is, is when your heart, listen here, when your heart connects to this, your heart connects to it and says, God has set me as a watchman. When your heart connects to the verse and you find yourself doing that which the verse says because your heart has been pulling you toward it by the Spirit of the Lord you, for however now, how, how, long, how, how long that's been going on. But when your mind and your heart connect and you say, this is me. I am a watchman. When you begin to believe that this is what God has called you to, it's not just you're weird or you're off or you're a prayer person or you're strange, but God says about you, when what God says about you connects with your heart, that's when you're set. You know what that is? It's called releasing faith. Simply believing the Bible. He wants to set you in. There's a divine setting that God wants to release. He wants to release it to you. There's many tonight. You thought you were a prayer person. You thought you were an intercessor. You didn't know why, whatever. But God says you're a set watchman for real. You are a set watchman. That's who you are. I want to stand in this place and I want to tell you that's who you are. It's not just an intercessor. You're not just the leader of the prayer group. You're a set watchman for God's end time plan. You, can't, you say, well, can't, it couldn't be that big. I'm just trying to pray for our little group. No, I'm telling you, your little group and their salvation, and that little city and that salvation is all a part of this. God's zealous for Zion. It's all a part of the same picture. You're a set watchman. With the grace to fast and pray. Let me give you another little something. The fact that God is raising up houses of prayer all over the place right now, it is a divine sign. It is a heavenly sign of a divine setting of watchmen on the wall. You're a watchman. God bless you.
You're a watchman. God bless you. Be set. Be set on the wall. Settle it for yourself. Settle it. You have an identity in God as a lover, but you have an identity and a calling as a set watchman. God bless you for it. The place isn't the issue. The issue for you is settling it in your heart. Settling it in your heart. Let's just stand. Come, Holy Spirit. Father, I pray tonight you'd break shame. You'd break shame off intercessors tonight. God, I pray tonight for the one that is feeling stirred toward intercession and prayer, but has never dreamt that's who they would be. God, break shame and release courage. We're moving. There's a shifting happening here for us. We're moving from the place of being a sort of a pseudo youth movement to being a governmental facility with set watchmen. A governmental facility, the kingdom of God. A house of prayer. It's a reality that's happening in the spirit. God changing our ID. It's releasing government. Government of the earth is run from the prayer rooms of the earth. You're a set watchman. God bless you for that. You no longer need to be ashamed. When your mind and your heart connect over this reality, faith is released. It's who you are. 